Thank you for listening to the Power Shift Mindset. We'll be discussing techniques, concepts, and strategies to help you achieve the success and happiness you're looking for. Hey guys, it's Coach Jay here. We have a little bit of a different format. I'm actually flying solo this week. Shruti's out at an audition, and I'm going to talk about youth athletes and the pressures that they have on them. Hey guys, so like I said in the intro, I'm doing this one uh, myself. Uh, Shruti came up with a last minute audition, and like I said to her, break a leg. They do use that in film recording. And uh, I've been watching the uh, Lancaster Classic uh, past few days. As you know, I'm uh, an archery coach. I coach high school soccer and baseball and have worked with youth athletes um, from as young as in the seven and eight year old age group with soccer and baseball up through uh, basically the college age uh, athlete with the archers that I've worked with. And uh, first thing I wanted to say is uh, congratulations to Coach Roxanne and two of her athletes, two archers that made it to the final stage at the Classic, uh, Dewey Hathaway and uh, Whitney Williams. And watching these athletes compete at the highest level for, for the age group is amazing. Uh, I've, like I said, I coached high school soccer, I coached, coached high school baseball, and then even going into the lesser pressure when it comes from the, the game or the activity itself, um, the youth recre, the recreational leagues, the, the your U8, your U10, your U13s, at just that rec league, uh, level, uh, when you talk about the game itself, there's not much pressure. And then when you take parents into uh, account, sometimes things change. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of parents that can be overbearing for them to perform. Uh, I mean, U10 games where I mean, some parents will act like it's a World Cup final, uh, where this is just a rec league. I mean, I can even understand if you're on a travel team or a premier team and you're going all around the state or even out of state to compete, uh, maybe there is a little more pressure. And a lot of things that these athletes go through, I, I just had some recent discussions recently. Um, I know in Connecticut, as far as high school sports, there's restrictions on how much we can coach our athletes out of season. And there's restrictions on what the athlete can do within a season. So for example, I coached high school soccer in the fall and high school baseball in the spring. So once the high school soccer season was done, I can no longer coach those soccer players in soccer. So the remainder of the year, the calendar year until next soccer season, I could not coach that team. Now there were some uh, rules in there where I can coach up to half what's on the field. So in the game of soccer, we have 11 on the field, five and a half rounds up to six. I could take six athletes uh, that played this year and are eligible to play the next year. So let's say I took six juniors and we'd put an indoor team together. So I could coach those six juniors on that indoor team and play throughout the winter. Once that roster changed, once one kid dropped off and another kid came off, that would be a seventh athlete. I can no longer be part of that program. And this is to prevent coaches from kind of forcing that athlete to go year-round within that sport. Now, other restrictions here are the athlete cannot play the same sport for a second team. So if you're playing high school soccer, you can't play travel soccer in the fall. Now, again, I coach spring baseball. I can take one of my soccer players, they're, coach, they're playing high school soccer, but then they're playing fall baseball on the weekend. That's perfectly fine. Or go into the spring season, I'm coaching high school baseball, and one of my baseball players is playing spring soccer on a travel team. 
again, that's acceptable. And this is to prevent burnout, to prevent an overuse of, of that same muscle plane uh, and, and that repeat that you do. Taking a Take example of a, a baseball swing. Um, when I went out to Utah, I went to the batting cages. I just bought two tokens. So we're talking 30 swings or so. And I felt how stiff my shoulders were. When I coached high school baseball, I would take 500 swings of practice. I did the math one time where you're talking, you're hitting a couple to your left fielder and he's throwing second. The next time he's throwing a third, next time he's throwing the home. I mean, there's nine swings right there. Do that on all the starters, go to the infield, put the second string in, the third string in, maybe some batting practice. And we're talking 500 swings and throws. And when you, when you do that repeat, you can really wear an athlete down. Uh, so there were restrictions into that. I mean, the other thing is that balance. When you look at a high school athlete or that age group, I mean, even going, again, going in that middle school or even elementary school level, they have so much that they're worried about. I mean, obviously, sports is more fun than school for most. Uh, obviously, we call them student athletes because they are students first. So as a, as a coach who coaches properly, uh, you have to make sure that their academics are where they should be. And any good coach would never penalize an athlete who's coming into practice late because they went and met with their math teacher for an extra half an hour after school. And that's why we call them student athletes and not athletic students. And this, I'm referring to this to sports, but if you have uh, a child that does dance or does theater or does any other extracurricular activity, this applies to, to those activities as well. I have just have the experience of working with athletes. And again, I was just having a, a talk with another coach, uh, a, a woman who's an archer in the club that I'm at, and she's a, a track coach and she's a PE teacher and talked about how there were some coaches out there that they can be really tough and don't want their athletes playing another sport. If you're my soccer player, I don't want you playing basketball and baseball. I want you playing indoor soccer in the winter and spring soccer in the summer. And, and that can burn out an athlete. And then let's go into that where... You do have athletes that have multiple activities. And at the club where, where I'm coaching archery, I look up at the wall and I have uh, my team from a couple years ago, some individual photos I did of them with their bows. And um, they all do different activities. And my, my own kids played soccer and, and played baseball up to a certain age. So they did that. So they had their archery, their soccer and then they're both musicians, so you have band practice and music practice and stuff like that. And two of the girls on the team did theater and dance and, and were very busy with that. Another girl was a singer, and one of the other kids on the team did curling as well as was a third-degree black belt. So you look at all these different activities and balancing all of these. Uh, while I'm watching, again, the, the Lancaster Classic, uh, I'm listening to Steve Anderson, one of the top compound shooters out there, and he was talking about how when he's done some coaching and you, you take that high school athlete, uh, now it's up to them to make the decision which way to go, but he made a good point where as a high school athlete, you only have those four years to play that high school sport, whether it be soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be, where archery can be that lifetime sport. So don't give up your high school sport and to, to shoot your bow or to do that other activity, again, whether it be art or dance or something that can be done outside of the school where you don't have that four-year window to do it. And this should be purely the decision of that athlete, that child, 
and not so much pressure from the parents and definitely not any pressure from the coach. Uh, a, a good coach is out there for the kids that they're coaching. Um, that's that's a big thing. I know one thing I would get questioned about a lot with the youth soccer teams and more so once I hit the U13 age group. So the league that we played in was very much a rec league. We had our U8, 7 and 8-year-olds, U10, 9 and 10, and then our U13 was 11, 12, and 13. They would allow the occasional 14-year-old who wasn't really good enough to play in high school. They didn't want a kid who was good enough for high school but then decided they wanted to stay back and play in this rec league where they can dominate. That's not what that spot for those select 14-year-olds was for. It's for the one that really wouldn't have the opportunity to go any further. And I would often get questioned as, how come your kids get to play keeper, play goalie on the soccer team all the time? Well, I mean, one thing, and I mean, not to pat myself on the back or pat them on the back, but they're really good at it. I mean, my older son, Brian, was on the high school field at five years old. Literally at five, six, seven, eight years old, he was doing the drills with the high school team. He was doing all the stuff that the keeper keepers were doing, and he was really good. Right now, he's the starter for his high school as a junior. My younger son is the starter as an eighth grader for his middle school. So obviously, they came through the ranks, did what they did well enough to earn the position. But more so than that, again, this was a rec league. I would tell the parents, I have no problem if your child gives up six goals a game. I mean, if they, you can be the most unathletic kid on the field, just looking to have fun and hang out with your friends. You can give up six goals a game. We can lose six, nothing. And I would have absolutely no problem with that. But as a coach, what I did have a problem with is if your child went into the backseat of your car, cried all the way home. And the next Saturday, I'm wondering where's little Johnny and I get the call from the mother, oh, Johnny's not coming today because he feels like he stinks because we lost the game because of him. As a coach, it's not it's my job to not set that child up for failure. And usually when I would say that to a parent, I'd kind of get that little bit of a deer in headlights look, the little bit of a pause and, oh, okay, I understand. And I, I would hate to see, again, going back to rec league, so not the highest skill level, I would see baseball coaches throw the kid out into right field. That was usually the the least activity in, in a younger age group. Right field, so now the kid's I mean, picking grass and watching the butterflies, and that one ball that gets hit to him gets by, and again, he feels bad. He made a mistake. Parents get on him. And I want to get that kid and have him engaged. I want to put him at first base. If he misses a couple balls, so what? This is the age for him to learn. And And I had one kid who, again, wasn't a great athlete, He happened to be left-handed. I hate seeing kids go to third base as a lefty because you're not going to play it at the higher level. Yes, you might make an out. Yes, you might make that play. But you're set up for failure being in the wrong position. You have to pivot your body more. It's naturally suited for right-handers. Usually a lefty will either be pitcher, first base, or outfield. And with that said, my older son was my left-handed catcher. I caught through high school and... I love the position, and because most kids didn't like to do it, especially at that younger age, I taught my son to catch, and he did very well and and loved it. And I always told him, listen, once you get up to that higher level, once you get to high school, and unless you're much better than the righty, you're not going to get the job. And he understood that. I put this one kid at first base. He made the plays. I put him in to pitch. He did what he needed to do. And as he did better and better, you can see his confidence building. 
And, and that's the thing. You have to, especially at the youth age, you have to put these kids in a position where they can exceed, where they can keep making progress. Don't put them in a position to fail. You have to have them engaged. I think balance is a big thing. Um, going back to that multiple sport or activity situation. Uh, I have one girl now who's very active with the archery team and, and shoots and did quite a few outdoor activities, but she also dances competitively. She has her dance team with school. And in this case, her state dance competition falls on the same weekend as our national archery tournament. She's going to dance. And now, well, I might tease her all the time and, and say something that, oh, that's only the state level. This is the national level. You know, I, it's just joking around with her. I don't mind that. Archery might not be her first activity. It might be her second. Who knows? Maybe it's her third activity on the list that she does. But again, that should always be the decision of the person doing the activity, the the child or, or the athlete that's doing it, and not have pressure, again, from parents and, again, especially coaches. We're there to build them up. We're there to help them in situations beyond on the field, on the court, uh, at the archery range. And it's really key that we make sure that they're enjoying the activity, they get the proper support all around, and just keep working with them. And Because a lot of these skills can, can definitely be used in other situations. And I talk about mindset a lot. It's definitely something I've taken into coaching the mental game with my archery team. Like I said, watching the the Lancaster Classic, um, I actually have the finals on in front of me on YouTube now. They have this arena that's, I mean, just like any built-up arena, they've got the spotlights on them. The archers are actually up on I mean, pedestals shooting the finals I and mean, the pressure's there. I and mean, this is sport, but that's the same pressure that you're going to have down the road after you graduate high school and you're going to do an audition for... I mean, Shruti's out at an audition now. So the pressure she has today for that audition to be in a movie is the same pressure I'm going to have when I go to Vegas next week to shoot the, the Vegas shoot. And it's the same pressure you're going to have as a job interview. Um, or if you're going to an elite college and they have an interview process, it's that same pressure. So being able to to have your composure and work on that. And these are the things as coaches that we need to coach beyond the skill of the sport. There is so much more that is there beyond kicking a ball, throwing a ball, shooting an arrow, and doing your dance moves. It's really big that you support these kids in any way you can. Um, There's different things that I see in terms of the skill level of a coach. Now, that's always going to be subjective. Um, Obviously, if you have a team that's, 15 and one and another team that's one and 15 and we can argue is it the coach is it the players i mean i have to deal with the the new york giants watching them play and okay is it the coach's issue or is it the player's issue and you can see that at at the youth level whether it be high school whether it be in rec leagues and stuff like that Um, but we have to look at other things beyond how we play the game there's just so much more to it than just that And I'm going to go back again to that balance and not just between sports, but now, again, going into the academics. Again, student-athlete. The student should be first. The athlete comes second. And 
I coached in a school that had a, many different cultures, many different. I mean, we, my soccer team was the United Nations. I have my my '07 seniors. They graduated in '07. The in 05 so their junior soccer season we were league champions and i look at this photo it's up uh next to my desk now and i mean that just the group of seniors so not even going into the rest of the team i had brazilian portuguese cape verdean uh peruvian uh albanian and jamaican and then going on i had uh, Argentinians and Colombians. I mean, we were the United Nations and they all, they'd all come from different cultures with their parents and what the parents expected from them and, and athletes that needed to work to help parents pay the bills, athletes that were well off and had everything they needed to do what they needed to do. And you need to work with everything. I mean, some of the hardest things as a coach is I had a kid who, who was here and in the middle of the night, his father left and went back to Colombia. I mean, just like that, left him, his mother, and his sister here and never saw him again. So these pressures that these kids work with, you have to be there and, and support. I mean, I had an, another kid who, one of my baseball players, who it officially went down on record as I mean, cop-assisted suicide. His father attempted suicide a couple years earlier, and and we call it unsuccessful because uh, he, he tried to take his life and it didn't work. And... And a couple of years later, he purposely I mean, shot at the police, knowing that they would shoot back. And these two kids that had these traumatic things happen to them were two of the nicest kids that I've ever known. I and mean, two of the best athletes from, from a mental aspect, from a mindset, and even from their ability to play the sport. And these kids were I mean, good students, never got in trouble. And, and that's a tough thing that we look at, that I don't think we have enough of these kids that get the support and that we know what they go through in the background, what their home lives are like, what the the troubles they have just studying in general. Uh, we had we had Casey Cuffold on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and she's and 17 years old. She's a senior in high school, and she's an Olympian. She's a silver medalist in world championships, but she's still a high school kid. And balancing being able to shoot at such a high level, yet still worry about high school classes and, and being a kid and, and prom and graduation and doing stuff like that. And now that obviously that's a an extreme difference between being a, an Olympic level athlete and, and a high school kid. But I mean, I take my own son and he's 16 years old, junior in high school, shooting very well. And we're watching, like I said, watching the tournament now and I mean, had we gone to the shoot, he, he had a good chance, the way he's been shooting the past month or so, to have been in that finals round. And the pressure that some of these athletes are put on, on and when we're watching only the field or only that court and see what they're doing and what they're struggling with and not realizing what they have going on at home. And we we always hear the thing about, I mean, everyone's got that, that past everyone's got the story behind them and we don't always see what's there uh, i like the the drawing that you see of uh, it's like the iceberg so as you're you're floating around you see that iceberg sticking up above the water and 20 30 feet but don't realize that it's I mean, 110 feet tall underneath the water um, the perfect image of the tree the tree's growing and i mean the tree's 15 feet tall but those roots dig into the ground 30 feet the stuff that we don't see is what makes a lot of 
the way people act and the way people work uh, at what they're doing. And I, I've always had a passion of, of coaching and definitely working with youth athletes is, is a big thing. Um, like I said, the going into that strategy thing and subjective of how good a coach could be. And one thing I, I see, I love watching the Little League Baseball World Series. And so we're talking 11 and 12-year-olds. And, and it's always fun to watch them. I mean, a kid gives up a homer and just smiles at it as he's watching this ball go. I mean, 300 feet. And the, the walls, I believe, 250 feet even around I mean, from pole to pole. And you'll see the kids smile. Obviously, you get in that high school age, you're never going to see a pitcher smile when the other guy just hits a bomb off you. But seeing them have fun and, and seeing them joke around I and mean, hit a kid with a pitch, he walks over to first and shakes his hand. It's just, it's really fun for me to watch that stuff. But then I see the commercial for, for looking for volunteer coaches where it's like, come on, you don't need to know the game, mom and dad. Come out and coach the local team. Now, there's different things of, of what I see with that. Uh, when I would introduce myself, especially at the U13 level for soccer, I'd introduce myself, hey, I'm Coach Jay. I coached high school for 15 years. I don't care about winning. That was my opening statement. And some of the parents would look at me and, again, like deer in the headlights look, and I've actually had some parents take their kids and go to another team. So you'd have a kid who, from a skill set, was not a good soccer player, didn't really have soccer skills but he was big he was fast so other coaches would let him run up and down the field with the ball him or her it was co-ed in this league would let them run with the ball anywhere they wanted up down left right forward backwards whatever they wanted to do because they were fast and they were big my thing at that u13 level middle school age was to teach them how to play the game so when they got to high school they knew what to do and i was refereeing a jv game between two local schools and one of the kids that I had coached at the U8 and U10 level who went to another coach at the U13 level, his parents and his grandparents were there. And after the game, I'm over by my car where they were sitting and getting out of my referee uniform and like a little different than East Mountain from the rec league, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's so much faster and this and that. And, said, and that's why I didn't care about winning because he was an example of one of those kids that was fast and, and one of the bigger kids and was allowed to run up and down, but never learned the game. So that's the thing. When we're at that younger level, it's nice to be able to have the kids go out there and just have fun. But it's also supposed to be teaching. And when you go into I mean, a building thing, I mean, here's, here's some Lincoln Lodge. Let's build a, a cabin. Now, I'm probably dating myself. If you're I mean, younger than 40, you probably don't know what Lincoln Logs were, but... I mean, they were these wooden sticks, looked like logs, and you'd build, and build a cabin out of it. So if we don't teach someone how to structurally put these Lincoln logs together, and then they want to be a carpenter, and you wonder why the house is falling down, that's because you just let them run up and down the field with the logs and put them wherever they want. And so these are the type of things that can transfer over that we need to make sure. Now, again, with that said, I give credit to any coach out there that volunteers their time across the board, whether it's soccer, baseball, dancing, and whatnot. And I, I hands down, I, I give you credit. We need more people that'll do it. Um, I love the coaching. I hate the part where I get the roster and I have to make all the text and phone calls and this and that. I kind of joke that back in my day, you know, I'm 46, so we're going back to the 80s. And my mother would be given a piece of paper 
with a schedule. We'd stick it to the refrigerator with a magnet, and every week we would just show up. Now a lot of parents need that text and need that call and need that confirmation and need... And so that's the stuff that that kind of pushes away some of the parents from coaching, just that, the, the whole thing, the fun part. And then you do need to take into the account of there's teaching something right or wrong, again, could be subjective, but then there's also taking an athlete's safety. And I love small ball when it comes to baseball. I'm the one that's going to hit and run. I'm the one that's going to drop a bunt, move a runner, teach these kids, okay, you're having a tough time at the plate. You haven't gotten a hit in a while. We have a runner on first. You know what? Drop the bunt. You're going to get out, but we're going to move him to second. Now he's in scoring position. I had a situation where my son was on third base. I see my son running to steal home, and the batter takes a full swing. And if there's anyone listening that coaches baseball, you know you don't do that. And in this case, the hit was a nice, clean, solid single over the shortstop's head. No harm done. Had that kid swung early and hit a ball down the line, 18 inches foul, my son could have been killed. I went off on the coach, and I'm usually a quiet person. You don't do that. So this is where parents that do volunteer and do something, please make sure you have at least the basic knowledge of sports. Again, strategy, right and wrong. You want to swing, I want to bunt. That's one or the other, but you don't have a runner running at the plate. And just like I have my personal training certificate. I personally train people. I work with squats and deadlifts. I'll take you and I'm going to show you and how to do a clean and press with a kettlebell. I've been shown how to do a clean and press with barbell. I'll do it lightweight by myself, but I haven't been taught how to do it. I've been shown how to do it. So I'm not going to relay that information until I'm properly trained on how to do that. So these are the different things where I'm going to look out for the safety of the people I'm working with. And that's where we need to know the basics. Again, talking to this other woman who's a high school track coach, we were saying how a lot of, a lot of school districts, and including here in Connecticut, it goes, a lot of times it goes by seniority. There is no interview process of who knows the game better. It's two teachers put in for the job and the one who's been there the longest and that's the one that gets the job i mean so you can be a history teacher that never played a sport in your life and you want to get the easy and four thousand or five thousand or paycheck for the season and you can say you know i'm going to go coach that that baseball team with no clue how to coach baseball you're going to get the job again are you going to win games? Probably not if you have no clue and don't have a, a uh, assistant coach that can help you. And that's not a big deal. But now are you going to do something that can hurt someone? Are you going to hit and run and, and have that suicide squeeze on, of the plate, yet your batter swings away? And so those are the type of things. I believe there's only like three sports that you actually need to be certified in because of the danger. And I believe it's wrestling, gymnastics, and diving. Other than that, Anyone can coach it. So we do need to take in the safety of the athletes into account, some basic knowledge. And again, anyone that volunteers, I could care less if you go I mean, oh, and 7,000 in your coaching career as long as the kids don't get hurt. I mean, but we got to be teaching beyond, again, how to kick the ball, throw the ball, and, and whatnot. Um, 
it's again, I, I've always taken pride in, in coaching these athletes. I, I have athletes of mine that have graduated from year, years ago. Um, there was a situation recently in uh, in Connecticut where a I believe is a girls high school basketball team, and I'm not sure the exact exact score, but I think it was something like 97 to 12. And I've had teams on both sides of that. I've had my soccer team, that 05 championship team that I mentioned. We had one school in the league that was terrible. And we'd go there and easily inside 10 minutes, we'd be up 3 nothing. So we would swap players. We'd always keep our defense strong. All our starters would just rotate on the defensive side. And all the kids that never had a chance to play would go up top. So it's like, okay, put the bench in. And right now, for the next five minutes, only Johnny gets the ball. Let's try to get him a goal okay now only Bobby gets the ball let's try to get him a goal so we would do stuff like that or you might take that senior that played defense for four years and put him up top just to try to get him a goal Um, but we had a handshake agreement within our league that we didn't beat someone by more than six goals there's no point to do that and I had called this radio station that was talking about it and again with the experience of coaching two sports in a sport like soccer even basketball I mean the clock eventually runs out and you can't score anymore. Unfortunately, in a sport like baseball, you have the issue of the other team still needs to make the out. Even if you're just up there and slapping the ball directly to that shortstop or that third baseman, he still needs to make a good throw to the first baseman. And if it's over his head, you know what? This is where you stop at first. You don't take that extra base. And so I understand the, you know what? You're playing the game. I mean, this this was a big discussion a few years back when, uh, our U.S. Women's uh, uh, World Cup team had beat someone 13 to nothing in the World Cup or something like that. And it's like, no, these are, this is the World Cup. If you're good enough to get to the World Cup, be ready to to play. And I've heard both sides that you actually show the team disrespect more if you hold back and don't play the way you're capable of. I can agree with that to some extent, but I also can agree with the fact that there's other things you can do. You know, we're going to keep scoring, but we can only score with a header. We're going to keep scoring, but we're going to only score by shooting with our opposite foot. So there's things, again, it's it's teaching people and just the proper way of, of being involved in the event that we're doing. So, all right, well, I'm going to start wrapping this one up. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, this was a last-minute thing, um, watching the shoot and, like I said, watching a couple youth archers shoot and uh, seeing the pressure they have on them and they're, they're both good kids uh, we've I'm going to see Dewey in Vegas and uh, hopefully Whitney's out there as well uh, I know we spent some time with Whitney when we went to NFAA indoor nationals a few years ago in Cincinnati uh, which she was national champion there and uh, Dewey had won Vegas last year so these these are two two very nice kids that um, compete at the highest level and, and excel at the highest level and again and congratulations to Coach Roxanne, who's their coach. And uh, let's let's keep our, our eye out for our, our youth athletes. And again, I, I'm saying athletes because that's what I'm familiar with. But whether we're talking art or theater or dance or anything like that, remember that they have so much else going on in their lives from schooling to a second, a third, or fourth activity or that activity that you're doing with them might be their third activity. Uh, again, I would joke with one of my kids who the parent would come up to him for soccer and say, oh, we need to leave at halftime. We got a football game. And I'd say, hey, you ever tell your football coach you're going to come in at, at halftime because you have a soccer game? But again, 
football might have been his main sport. So let's always support uh, our, our kids in all the activities they do. Just be there for them. Uh, safety when it comes from sports and athletics, make that priority. Um, don't overwork them. Uh, I'm going to go back to episode seven, the importance of rest. And I know we talk about that a lot in the the adult side of it, that we need our physical rest, mental rest, emotional rest, but very much so make sure your, your youth athlete gets that rest as well. And um, again, just be there for them, support them. And Again, at some point, your your youth athlete's going to come to you and say, hey, mom, dad, I don't want to play baseball anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And just support them. Let them make that decision. Don't force it on them. And you, you will see them excel at, at something. And again, this was last-minute thing for me to fly solo, and I, I just thought about this topic as I was uh, watching a couple of our youth archers compete. And hope you enjoyed the topic. And we'll probably see in a couple weeks. As I mentioned, I head out tomorrow to Vegas for the Vegas shoot, which is next weekend. So Shruti and I won't really have the ability to to record another episode. Um, So most likely you'll hear back from us again in two weeks. We'll have that that week off uh, from the show unless we can figure something to do remotely. But again, hope you enjoyed this topic. And again, thanks everyone for the support that you've given us. Uh, Please check out our Patreon page uh, if you'd like to help support us uh, financially to help with the cost that is involved in doing this production. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you. Shift Mindset Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. While the suggestions, strategies, and practices we have given have been proven successful for our personal use as well as clients we have worked with, these recommendations should not supersede instructions given by any licensed professionals, including but not limited to your primary care physician and mental health professionals. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for the PowerShift Mindset Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at The PowerShift Mindset and also visit thepowershiftmindset.com. Thanks again for listening to The PowerShift Mindset.